listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. You see now, just like you see the, hopefully, the value of management, now you see the value of culture. And you see what you can control and what you can't control in the environment. Believe it or not, most of the environment lies without our control. But what's cool, what's cool is we can prepare through our culture, we can prepare our organization for the unknown external things that happen to us, like COVID or like a potential hurricane, or like people potentially quitting, like uh, customers all of a sudden wanting to use artificial intelligence. We can prepare our culture to capitalize on these changes in the external environment intentionally. We're gonna talk about some ways why. There's two core subjects. One is the business environment. The other one is the internal culture. The question I have for you, what is the business environment? And how does it impact performance? Performance of business, the individuals, whatever you guys come up with. Or just what you think about when you, when you hear environment. What does that mean to you? And then this one is what type of company culture is ideal? And what I want there is really just you to use your imagination. If you're going to design an organizational culture and you were going to create a community, with norms and values and belief systems, what would you create? And it could be as fun as Chuck E. Cheese or as serious as the IRS or the United States government. And I want to understand the words that come to mind when you think about environment. Performance, relationships. I mean, just employees. Yeah. The fact that the employees are a product mm-hmm. or a factor within the environment is a good, a good thing. Some people would consider employees to not be a part of the environment. They step into it, but at times... They're a part of it. They create it. Okay, and I put feelings, emotions. emotions. There's a lot there. Well, rules is a big one. When you come into an environment that has a lot of rules, structure, sometimes we behave differently, naturally. But when you come into an environment where you can be more free, you can be more independent, you can be more creative, and you behave differently. And sometimes people actually enjoy the structure more than they enjoy the creativity. They want to know, how am I supposed to behave? And if they don't know or somebody doesn't tell them, they feel uncomfortable because they're not used to that lack of structure. That is absolutely a factor in the environment. There's a great book by a great author. His name is Marshall Goldsmith. So he he talks about, and this is, a again, another profound concept that I want you guys to understand. The environment impacts our behavior. And the environment is made up of of a ton of different things. Technological. So I teach in the prison. And we don't have technology. None. Zero. The environment is different. It's a little bit more engaging because they don't have the technology in front of them. There's less substance. There's less tools that you can use. It changes the environment. Access to technology. Use of technology. As we think about culture, hold on to this concept of the the business environment. And know that the culture is very much contingent upon the environment, they go hand in hand. Shaping a company's culture and shaping an environment 
and understanding what you can control and what you can't control sounds like two big concepts, but they very much flow with one another. Okay, so the business environment. What is it and why is it important? So when you think about the global environment, what do you think? Like the, the weather and the, when people are environmentalists, what are they? What are they trying to protect? Yeah, the planet. Why are they trying to protect the planet or the environment? To survive. That's it. They want to make sure that the environment in which we live, that we have oxygen to, to breathe, that we have water to drink, clean water. Because environmentalists at their core, they fundamentally understand that if we, if we negatively impact the environment, we're ne negatively going to be, we're not going to be able to live the lives we want to live. It's going to eventually come back and hurt us. It's going to change the way we behave. Think about when COVID took effect. Remember prior to COVID in China, they had to wear masks in China before COVID. Why? Because of the pollution. So because of the human's impact on the environment, it made an external factor where people had to wear masks just to walk down the street. So then obviously COVID hits, and now we're in the United States with clean air, but we're still having to wear masks because of an external variable that we could not control that impeded upon our behavior. So when you think about a business, and I use that weather and the global environment just as an example, so you can see that the same thing happens within an organization. So Maria has likes, interests, how she dresses, how she talks, and how she presents herself is going to surround, she's going to surround herself by other people, hopefully, that want to achieve the same things in life. And how she acts is gonna draw those people in or they're gonna draw them out. So her behavior affects the people around her. But if you take Maria and you put her in the middle of a Australian desert with a bunch of kangaroos, you picturing this? Maria and kangaroos everywhere. And you, you kept her there for 10 years. Is she gonna be the same person 10 years from now as she would if she was around smart people like yourself, growing and learning? So you take Maria 10 years from now, the kangaroos, Maria here at same person? No. Take Maria and put her in a good organization with a good internal environment, and you're going to produce a type of person. You're going to produce a, you know, hopefully somebody who's a winner. So that's the, the business environment, and that's why it's so important, and that's why it impacts performance, how a business environment, just like the, the, the globe, can impact our performance as individuals. Now think about it as an organization. How does it impact the performance of the organization? And what can the organization control within their environment? Let's look at this list. Can you control the external environment? No. Can you control performance? Probably, you probably could have some control over performance. How about relationships? Can you control relationships? Yes, absolutely. Can you control employees to a certain extent? Who you hire, who you don't hire, how you train them? Yes, you can control that. Can you control emotions? I'm gonna go ahead and say no, you could help yeah. Eliminate certain types of emotions at some times, but you can't get one thing. One thing we can control is our actions, and another thing we can control is our behaviors. Our actions, our behaviors, our mindset, how we think, how we act, how we behave. Can I control how you think, how you act, how you behave? But I could try to influence it. So emotions are hard to control. But how about our surroundings? Yes. How about our operations? Yes. Our structure? Yes. What is this? Rules? Yes. And our technology, yes. yes. So emotions, feelings, and the external environment we have less control over. What type of company culture is ideal? Our last and firm. Food, I would consider that a big cultural norm. 
or something that if people enjoy eating at their desk or they go out to eat with one another or they skip lunch because they're so busy. As you have kids, and this is kind of a side note, and, and a wife, almost every single one of my decisions are tainted through the lens of like what, how will it affect my family. We're talking about ideal cultures, a learning environment, a growth-oriented culture, a culture that, that values unity, togetherness, cohesiveness, teamwork, motivation, respect. Fair payment. So compensation. That's good. We're not here to work for free. We want to be compensated. Interesting. Some people want compensation in the form of dollars. Some people want compensation in the form of flexibility. Some people want compensation uh, like bonuses. Yeah, perks. Learning or uh, 401k, which is an investment vehicle or benefits, health benefits, a work vehicle. I mean, there's different ways that people will value different kinds of compensation. What type of company culture is ideal? And if you think about culture and you think about some things that we can control within our internal environment and how that affects our behavior, why is culture, how does culture tie into environment? Would you pursue an environment with kangaroos? Do some people pursue environments with kangaroos? Does everybody enjoy environments with kangaroos? This is the interesting thing about culture is that it will jive with some, but not always with others. And it's meant to be built by the people that work in the company, but it's supposed to be intentional. What does it mean building a culture to be intentional? If you have a, an organization and it has a mission and a vision, and you have the ability to control the performance relationships, employee surroundings, operations, structure, rules, technology, what's the point of culminating all that together? It's to build a culture to do what? To, to perform, to accomplish organizational goals, right? What if you don't have a grip on culture? What if you just allow culture to happen by itself? Values, norms, and beliefs. These are the things that shape culture. Values, norms, and beliefs. And how we bring, the, bring about these values, norms, and beliefs, how we attempt to try to instill them into other people, that's us driving culture. But when we're talking about management, when we're talking about these broad concepts like environment and culture, Defining this word management and understanding, is it important? Do we even need it? Why are we here? It has four words to it. So it goes planning, organizing, leading, controlling. Just briefly, why it goes in that order, if I wanted to lead something but I had no plan, what, would it be easy to lead that thing? I could come up with a plan as I go, but it's a lot easier to plan first and then lead. You plan, you design and organize, okay, this is what this is going to look like once we get to the basketball court. We're going to have seven people, two people are going to sit on the bench, five people are going to play it in the game. We have a plan to arrive there 10 minutes before, or an hour before the game to warm up. And then as we're going throughout the game, I'm going to lead them as, as the coach so that they can effectively win. And I'm going to keep track of how many rebounds, how many points each player has. That's the control of planning, organizing, leading, controlling. It's a fun thing to think about when you think about management because it, we do it all the time. Everywhere we go, we just don't name it, therefore we don't claim it as much as we should. But we're managing everything. There's, there's the value out of management. Usually, most of the time, if done well, performance and outcomes are better, greater. If done poorly or not done at all, it, it can have a significant downside on your business. So in the past, it was very bureaucratic, autocratic, which means there's one leader, they're in charge, they have their structure or their organizational chart, and it's, it's very positioned. 
That's a lot of that is going away. We're moving more towards a bossless environment. People are being empowered. Self-initiation is more important. Cultures are changing because the environment's changing. You're a manager of an organization and you have a culture with values of integrity, treating people with respect, and uh, working together as a team. These are values that you ideally cherish. And you have an individual there that is performing really well, a salesperson, but doesn't treat people well, has been caught in a lie, and really doesn't get along with anyone on the team, but they're performing really well. As a leader, what do you do about that? Okay, so you coach them. This person is clearly not abiding by some of the values within your culture, but they're performing well. So it's talk to them. At least confront it, right? Make sure they know that you know, hey, <laughs> I see you. Is that okay? So let's stop there for a second. Coaching and let them know what's going on. I think stories are the most impactful. I have worked in organizations where people have quit because they've been ill-treated by leaders. And the leaders above them never even ask why these people quit. They have no idea what's going on. They don't even know that they have people within their organization not abiding to the values that they set as executives. They're clueless. So just knowing, number one, and confronting it is a managerial task. But does everybody do it? No. So not everybody sets a culture. And once a culture is set, not everybody enforces it. It's not easy. That's a part of management. So back to the question, if this person is acting that kind of way and you, you have your hand on the wheel and you know that they're not doing well and you care about your company and the culture, you're driving the ship and somebody back there is not okay or over there in front of you, whatever you want to look at, you do something about it. And if you don't do something about it, what happens? I will venture to say that it destroys everything. Everything. As a leader, you can talk about the customers, you can talk about your culture, you can try to, if, if culture is important that you create it and you allow one person, one individual within your company to destroy it, then what are you doing as a manager and as a leader? You could still perform if you are, if you have a company of people that, that perform well, but you certainly wouldn't be doing it intentionally. If you did perform well, it wasn't because of your management. But the question is, does it happen sustainably? Does it happen consistently? So let's look, so the answer is no, no, that sucks. It's not the way we want to do it. Let's just briefly say that idealistically, we have values. We, we shape our internal environment. We have good customers. We instill some of these cultural values that we believe are ideal into our team. We reinforce them in our own behaviors. And then if others aren't acting that way, we confront it and there's consequences involved. And then there's a perpetual cycle. That organization is gonna move in an intentional direction towards accomplishing goals a little bit better. You see now, just like you see the, hopefully, the value of management, now you see the value of culture. And you see what you can control and what you can't control in the environment. Believe it or not, most of the environment lies without our control. But what's cool, what's cool is we can prepare through our culture, we can prepare our organization for the unknown external things that happen to us, like COVID or like a potential hurricane or like people potentially quitting, like uh, customers all of a sudden wanting to use artificial intelligence. We can prepare our culture to capitalize on these changes in the external environment intentionally. And we're going to talk about some ways why. And we're going to talk a lot more about what we can control and what we can't control in the environment. That last bit was interesting. 
what did you think about when he said people aren't the same and you know not everybody is the same or not everybody's equal and some people, that's why some people are paid more than others. What did you think about that statement? Yeah, he, he actually, I think what he said is some people are, their value is less than others. It's, it's a little bit interesting and he's putting a number on their value and that's what they get paid. That is, that's polarizing in a sense for a lot of companies who, who may think differently. But what that culture, what he asserted in what he said, that is a performance-based culture. And the reason why he designed his culture based on performance is because of what we're about to talk about right now. It's because of he understood the task in the general environment. It's industry-specific. I don't know. He's in the dish network industry, the telecommunications industry, whatever that may be. Let's use an industry that maybe might be more relatable. A real estate brokerage, home brokers, realtors. How many people here know, know a realtor? Likely every single person yeah. in this room knows a realtor, right? Mm -hmm. So that means that there's a lot of realtors out there. A real estate business, especially a home real estate business, is very performance-based. Why? Competition. So if, this is, if we're talking about the environment now, there's two components. There's a task environment and a general environment. Let's focus on the task environment for a second. So in the task environment, we have our customers, our competitors, our suppliers, and our labor market. Can we control all of those? We cannot control a single one of these things. We could choose to have a strategy that goes after certain customers, but it doesn't mean that that customer is going to want to buy our product. And it doesn't mean that, that our value that we offer customers is the right thing for them. We can, we can go after them, and we, can, we would likely have them because we're in business somehow, but we can't control whether or not they're going to be with us next year, the year after, whatever that looks like. So we really can't control our customers. How about our competitors? What our competitors do is out of our control. How about our suppliers? Choose them, but you can't control them. They don't work for you. How about the labor market? Does anybody know what the minimum wage is? Does anybody know where it's going? $15 an hour. McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Walmart. There are a lot of companies that are increasing their payroll tremendously to meet the needs of the labor market and unions and people that are commissioning for the people that work for these companies that I named to make more money. And also with inflation, we know that just the cost of living is hard. So the businesses competitively have increased the average salary and the average pay of a ton. Did they do that because they wanted to, because they were nice? The external environment forced it upon them. They had to respond to what the external environment was dictating. And they didn't have that much control over it. So that's a big, that's a big component. Okay, so now we're moving to the general environment. I'll give you a hint. These are even more out of our control. These are the two concepts of the external environment. What's technological? Not yours. We're talking about the technological, like the, the general, the advances. So hospitals are becoming, the, the word for it is decentralized. These, this infrastructure of a hospital is now being decentralized, which means there's a bunch of urgent cares, specialists. I can take an ultrasound machine. My wife is pregnant right now. And I don't need to go to an OBGYN to get a ultrasound. I could do it at home. As a, as a healthcare consumer, as a 
customer to healthcare, I can do some of these things myself. So what does it mean for, for hospitals? Can they control the technological advances that are going on out there? No. no. They're going to be forced to have to respond to it eventually, but they can't control it. There are 3D printing, you can print a cornea in your eyeball, and, and you, could, you could print a valve in your heart. 3D printing is so advanced that they're doing some of these things. And then they take the valve in someone's heart, and they pick it up on a drone, <laughs> and they fly it into areas that you can't reach with cars, because medical care in certain villages and certain places you can't get to them. So they can take organs for transplanting into places they've never been able to take them before. Advancing the care for people all over the world. That's a technological advancement. I can keep going on and on and there, but the technological landscape is shifting incredibly over the next five, 10 years. And businesses cannot control it. Natural, what does natural mean? The forces of God, forces of nature. But how about resources, natural resources? Oil, the atmosphere, water. Yeah, these are minerals, uh, plants, food. These are natural resources. Food's not as natural, but there's certain things that th that's going to affect how we do business. Think about emissions and the car companies. Definitely changes the way car companies do business in the future. Sociocultural, what's that? This is, a lot has changed here too with uh, same-sex marriages being allowed with uh, the transvestite community, the he, shim, he, she pronouns, the uh, acceptance of certain things in our culture that previously weren't maybe as prevalent. And diversity, inclusion. I did a dissertation on uh, people with disabilities working within private employers. The question that I tested was, does working with a person who has a disability increase your organizational citizenship does it make you more inclined to do the things in your company that you wouldn't typically do? Because you, you get a, an opportunity to work with someone who's blind, someone who has a physical handicap, a mental handicap, or does it take away from your ability to do certain things? And the outcome was actually positive. It, it increased your organizational citizenship. It created more value for the culture and more value for the organization when you brought in a person with disability because of the multitude of different things that, that these companies do to help you work with the person with disability. They train you about it. So diversity and inclusion is a big part of social culture. Economic, what's the economic? Economics is behavioral based. A lot of people think it's all financial. It's driven by rewards and outcomes. So economics is actually the study of how people respond to rewards and outcomes. It's the stock market and the, the inflation rate and the monetary policy. But all of that, all of that is just numbers in the cloud. What they care most about is how those things impact our behavior. So economics, for instance, if the stock market was on rise and going crazy right now, maybe my wife and I would buy my house. We'd be more prevalent and say, look, our, our money's getting more, we, we can afford a house. But considering it's not, and there's potential future decline, we're more conservative with our behaviors with spending patterns. So I use myself as an example where you understand how economics impacts businesses, spending, behaviors. So that's economics. And how about, so we don't control any of these. Legal, political are the rules and regulations, the stipulations around doing business. Can we do that? Are we allowed to do that? If we do that, will we get arrested? Will we break a law? Will, will the IRS come after us and do an audit? Will they catch us? You know, the, these are the parameters that, legal parameters that restrict us from doing certain things within business. We cannot control those. International, globalization. What, what happened with Ukraine and Russia 
a year ago. Was there a war? Russia invaded Ukraine. Oh my God. Did we have any control over that? Does that affect business here in the United States? Yes. Mm -hmm. You better believe it. It affected our gas prices. Administration, I mean, maybe not the war, but there was a bunch of factors that came into impeding upon our own pockets. Our own pockets, let alone our employers' pockets and what they do and some of the decisions. The point is, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners, a lot of managers, they may think that where they need to focus is on their internal operations and how their employees are and making sure they take care of their customers. That's important, but where more opportunity and more things happen, it's called turbulence. Do you think you're on an airplane and mm -hmm. you're flying and, oh, oh my God, it's turbulence. More turbulence happens in the external environment than in the internal environment. And it's really important that we as, as, as leaders and as managers prepare ourselves for these unknowns in the external environment. And why does that matter? This is the concept of the environment. What can we control? Somebody count all the boxes outside of the purple. Ten of them. Okay, now count the, the bullet points inside the purple. Three. So what can we control? How can we control our employees? Who we hire and who we don't hire? The, the values that we enforce upon them. Your employees, your culture, management. How we manage is controllable. The best manager in the world, and you have all the resources within this organization, really you can impact your culture and you can impact the people. Everything else lies outside of the external culture. But what do you do with your, your culture and your people? If you're managing it right and you know what you know about that external environment, what are you prepared for? How are you managing that culture? of the events, Ukraine, think about COVID, think about technological, think about socioeconomic. If you can control your culture and your employees, what are some things that you would do to prepare them? You prepare them. You would have to. If you don't, what happens? If we're not prepared for the entrepreneurial revolution, if we're not prepared for the advancement of technology, if we're not prepared for uh, an economic downturn, and we do not have a culture, and we do not have employees who understand and can adapt, to these kinds of turbulent things. We will fail. We will lose. Our company will not exist. Our competitors will overtake us. We, we won't be agile enough to make changes as quick as we need to make changes in order to adapt to the new reality. And a lot of organizations, that was that's what happened in three years. I mean, how many restaurants, how many, you guys remember Kmart? Remember Blockbuster? Uh, Miami's Best, which was like a sub place. Toys R Us, uh, Sports Authority. I mean, we can go on and on, and sometimes we tend to forget what happened even in the last three years with COVID. We lost a lot of organizations that were ill-equipped to shape their people and their culture around this rapid change. And this is one last thing about the environment is, is that it's uncertain, and I think it's important that we understand that the environment's uncertain because managers do not have sufficient information about the environmental factors to understand and predict environmental needs and changes. Environmental characteristics that influence uncertainty. So the number of factors that affect the organization, the extent to which those factors change. Uh, management, leadership, self-assessment. Probably one of the most transformational things I've done as a leader is this. And the point is to help you, not me, is to help you discover these things about yourself so that you can be in the right places, the right environment, and the right culture. Not the kangaroos. You want to be with the right people. And unless you know about yourself and who you are and what you want, it's very difficult to choose, be intentional about the, the kinds of companies that you work with. It could be one of the most transformational things that I think that you guys would do. And I think you'll reflect back on it. I need some feedback. Tell me a little bit about ways I can get better 
And what do you think about my personality? What do you like? Where do you think I can succeed? Ask them questions about you. Ask them for feedback. What drives you? What do you care about? What are your passions? What are your core values? These are what my core values are. Am I reflecting this? They can't tell you what your core values are. That's for you to determine, not anybody else. That's you. But you can ask them, these are my core values. Am I demonstrating these? <laughs> if mine is integrity, or I ask my, my friends, do, I, do you consider me a man of integrity? And they say, man, you just lied to me last night, or whatever that looks like. So now you know, okay, I should probably change my behaviors based on my core values. So that's core values. Are they in alignment with the organization's vision and values, or could there be a potential conflict? If you're working for a company full-time, or you're working with an organization, just take your values and the organization's values and just say, do we value the same thing? My values are leadership and, sorry, faith, family, leadership, and strength. Those are my four values. When I say strength, I mean internal strength. Faith, family, leadership, and strength. Am I perpetuating my values? And the last thing is, okay, now that I know myself, I know my values, I kind of know the organization in which I'm working with, what do I want to do with my career? I want to inspire and encourage people through managerial and entrepreneurial education. I want to build an organization that not only helps students, but also helps business owners figure out their, their full potential. That's what I want to do with my career. And I'm doing that day by day. And kind of talk a little bit about it. So think about this. We asked the question of how we would design our idealistic culture. If you, there's a movie called We Bought a Zoo. You have a zoo and you have 10 employees. Who's seen this movie? It's a cool movie. You have a lot more leeway of how you can create that culture because it's a zoo. These are animals that have been around for decades, years. You kind of know a little bit about them. The people come in, they pay the ticket, they see the animal, they leave. Like there's less uncertainty. I know the animals' behaviors are kind of crazy, but there's less uncertainty in that environment than let's. Let's change it to you've just gotten awarded a $50 million investment by a venture capital firm for a new technology that couples artificial intelligence thinking with digital printing technology for eyeballs. You've just got $50 million. How uncertain is the future of the, the medical tech industry? It's very uncertain. So we would design our culture around adaptability, around pliability. Our teams would be agile. The, the person over here doing marketing might have to one day be a software designer. And the person that was the software designer, they may, may need to go meet with an investor and be a development manager. There's 10 people that work in your company. And guess what? Things could absolutely change six weeks from now. If you got a job at that company, you better have a backup plan. <laughs> because either the venture capitalist says, you know what, I'm pulling my fund. No longer going to fund. Or the whole tech space could end or a product could launch before yours that makes your product insignificant. So you're understanding the uncertainty based on the industry. And if the, if the tech industry is really uncertain, we have to create a culture that can adapt to that uncertainty. Versus, have you guys been to Robert's here at the fruit stand in Homestead? Okay, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. How long has it been there for? Has it changed much? Nope. Go there, maybe they increase the price of the smoothie. Maybe the chicken is now a goat. Chicken died. Okay, we got a goat now. But the concept is the same. That is a culture that is designed differently than a tech company. That's my point. The level of uncertainty matters within the external environment. Certain companies have more uncertainty than others. If you bought a zoo or you got robbers here, your uncertainty is a little bit lower than if you are a venture capital-backed tech firm. So if you are moving from China to the US to launch the United States TikTok brand and the government 
says, no, TikTok's not allowed in the U.S., bans it off of all cell phones. What happens to you? He's gone. Your job is done. We can't operate here. You're, you're, you're fired. You're going back to, to China. High uncertainty because of government regulation. What's something else that is slowly but surely disappearing from our everyday lives and why? So technology is creating maybe columnists for newspapers will not have as much work and graphic designers. If I can go on to Midjourney and I can just create an image, which I did today, <laughs> it was cool. I don't need to hire a graphic designer. I designed that entire thing on Discord. In the service sector, this is not tech sector. This isn't the medical sector. So this, is, this sector is less uncertain. Are we gonna have robots doing our landscaping in a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? Maybe, but most likely not. You're gonna have to hire a human to come out and fix your toilet. You're gonna have to hire a human to come out and mop your floors, even though the robots can do that. But there's certain things in the service sector that robots aren't going to be able to do. It's less uncertain. So our culture matters more. It matters more and it can be more powerful. You think leading and changing culture based on environment turbul environmental turbulence is easy. Think again. In this territory, the power of Zoom, AI, tech, computers, and spreadsheets alone won't suffice. In the quest for high-performance cultures, cultural leadership takes center stage. It transcends words using actions and symbols to guide employees towards a shared vision. Cultural leaders define the desired culture, crafting an inspiring story that resonates with all. They align values with the compelling mission, embodying the organization's chief marketing officer. Their influence spans two critical areas, articulating a vision that employees rally around and ensuring daily activities reinforce the cultural vision. Activities, actions. Through actions, not just words, they demonstrate commitment. When change is necessary, if you're thinking about the tech companies, Cultural leaders leave no room for ambiguity. They communicate that the old ways are no longer acceptable, propelling the organization forward. With cultural leadership, the transformative path unfolds, uniting values and actions in a cultural revival. These are tools in your toolkit. If you're gonna go build a tree house, what are you gonna to need to build a tree house? You're gonna need a tree. What, what tools? A hammer, some wood, a saw. Okay, so you're a cultural leader, like the person in that picture, and you're going out, build culture within an organization. These are your tools. These are your hammers and your saws and your pieces of wood that you use to do it. You have symbols, stories, heroes, slogans, and ceremonies. You can go into each one of them, but what's a symbol? A logo, an image, it could be a trophy. Have you ever seen, um, you call it a mascot? But it's sort of a symbol. Symbol with a peace sign is a symbol. License plates, all sorts of different license plates with different images on it that this is what I represent. It's a symbol. And immediately when you see the symbol, you're like, I know what that is. Let's think of a symbol. When you guys think of um, a gecko, what company do you think of? Geico Insurance. When you think of an apple with a bite in it. I mean, how universal is that symbol? And what does that symbol represent, by the way? Don't think about the company. What does it represent? When somebody puts the apple, what is it? I am, what am I? Not just a person who uses apple. I'm innovative. I like technology. I enjoy, I'm an early adopter. I'm an Apple guy. It's a symbol. It's meaningful. And so now you have a story behind the symbol. How about a hero? Who's Apple's hero? That still lives in our minds today. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was brilliant at sharing stories. More so than the, the nuances of the technology, he casted a vision of the future of our world, that we are still 
to this day, literally doing. She's on her Apple phone, right? Is it an Apple phone? Yeah. And she's changing the world based on a hero that made this possible. It's, it's, it's funny, but it's true. It's literally happening. That's the power of culture. How about a ceremony? What, what's an example of a ceremony? Yeah, an annual convention. So moving away from Apple, were you guys in grade school and you had to do this thing? You had to stand in front of the eye, pledge allegiance to the flag. We, I had to do that in grade school. Yeah. So how about a ceremony before sports games where they sing the national anthem? It's a ceremonious thing. Before we start the baseball game, oh, say, can you? It's like, oh, every time, you know. But it's, it's a ceremony. It's important. How about a slogan? Burger King. At Burger King, you can have it your way. Your way. What is it telling people? It's a slogan. This is how we operate. So these are tools that express corporate values and our culture. They're fun. Okay, so now that we know the ways in which we go about shaping our culture, the next question is just like if we're on a sailboat and we're the captain of the sailboat as managers, we have a destination. And our destination, how the management scientists have categorized them, are these four different kinds of cultures. You have an adaptability culture, an achievement culture, a consistency culture, and an involvement culture. So what kind of company would use those tools that we just talked about to intentionally shape an adaptability culture? Companies that have high uncertainty. Tech-based startup companies, this would be places like biotechnology, uh, just anything with a, a new startup, likely. And something that could potentially have a high level of risk to be associated with it. Think about the, the first people who joined on SpaceX. They're, they're doing well right now. Mm -hmm. But did they know they were going to be doing well for the first five years? They're following a guy like Elon Musk who went broke one time. It's kind of crazy, but super smart. They better have an adaptability culture. How about an achievement culture? What would be an example of a company that would intentionally try to build an achievement culture? Performance achievement, same thing. Real estate brokers, I made 100 calls today. Always be closing. It's all about hustle. Got to hustle. The one who hustles wins. Man, you got to wake up at 5 a.m. You got to get to the gym. You got to take protein powder in your mouth, straight in your mouth. There's no water. Just boom. Get to work. Get going. Six calls before 8 a.m. Some companies, that's how they act. Athletes, that's an achievement. If you go into a high-performance, peak-performance athletic facility, that's the culture that they operate at least for their athletes. It's not always a bad thing. It's just intentionally designed for a purpose, for an outcome. How about involvement culture? This is a culture I fostered at the company I ran for 12 years. Later, I, I started with an achievement culture, and I morphed to an involvement culture because it was needed. The job wasn't fun. The, the, the techs had to go out there in the hot sun. and there was high turnover. Involvement culture was the one I fostered intentionally because I needed people to care about what we're doing. And I'm ready to move more towards an involvement culture. I want to be a part of a greater mission, greater purpose. Pay isn't as important to me. I want to give back. I want to add value to people. If some of that stuff resonated to you, you'll likely, and this is what you're going to discover in your self-assessment. This is why this is important. Consistency culture. How about most, if not all, government companies, churches, banks? Bank's a great example, actually. They have a ton of regulation, a ton of rules. If you go to a bank and you want to act entrepreneurial, <laughs> you want to create something new, you want to be creative and innovative at a bank, no, this, you better make sure you do it this way because if you don't, you're in trouble. Healthcare is very similar. 
when you have your doctor and you have a patient, you, you gotta make sure you can't like get all, I'm gonna try a new procedure on you today. Try something different. I'm sorry, what? No, don't worry, it's, it's like, I'll take your care of you. No, you're gonna do it the way you've done it the last 100 times. So this is a consistency culture. You can see the difference. You understand the environment and why it's important, what we can control and what we can't. And then if you know what we can control, which is the internal environment, which is the employees and the culture, now you understand why culture is so important and how it can prepare us for adapting to the turbulence of the external environment.